good morning. If I haven't gotten to speak to you yet, good morning. If you're joining us from your couch or wherever you might be, your phone while you're traveling or wherever you are, good morning to you as well. We're in John chapter 9 this week. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open there. I'm going to read a little bit together. Earlier, I guess at the end of last week, not earlier this week, but late last week, Brad and I sat down together and we were talking about the book of John and kind of doing a recap and recording a little bit of a podcast, but talking through this stuff. And one of the, one of the things that, uh, that we were talking about that I was struck by um, as we recap the book of John is the simplicity and the accessibility of this gospel. The simplicity and the accessibility of it. Here's what I mean. If you think through, if you, if, even if you've turned in your Bible and kind of flipped back through the first eight chapters that we have been in so far, you see things that, that Jesus uses, or either Jesus or John kind of as a narrator, uses to teach um, or to, to make a... Um, make illustration or to teach a lesson, words like word, light, birth, water, wine, bread, using very simple everyday things, and he teaches lessons based around these things Jesus talking about, I'm the bread of life, or living water, or new birth. But also if you look at the, the kind of people that Jesus spends his time around, and the kind of people that we have recorded in John and in other Gospels. You think about even at his birth of shepherds and then fishermen, primarily fishermen that are his closest uh, disciples. And tax collectors and Samaritan women <laughs> that he spends his time with. And the marginalized and the over overlooked and the often forgotten. Right, This Gospel, this good news of Jesus... Uh, and even the time that we see Jesus spent, the way he spent his life, uh, we see this simplicity and accessibility. And I think this week in John chapter 9, we'll see that again. So if you've got your Bible, open to John 9. We're going to read just a little bit. There's a simple story here that I want us to look at. Um, and then I want to take just a simple approach to it and, and walk us through. Take that knife out of my pocket. Uh, walk us through. Uh, an exercise together that I hope will be good for you. It's a thing, a statement that I have not been able to shake all week long. So John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man um, not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, and no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, and he made mud with his saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed 
and came back seeing. He went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, so we have a quite simple story. Jesus is going with his disciples. They encounter a man that was blind. He had been blind from birth. And in this instance, we see God redeemed his handicap for his glory. He used his, uh, this situation, his blindness for his glory. And they're talking about that a little bit. I don't want to camp out there. I want us to keep moving. Uh, and Jesus heals this guy. He heals him in a pretty particular way. Right? He spits in the dirt. He makes a little mud. He takes the mud. He rubs it on his eyes is what it looks like. He tells this guy to go to the pool. Pool of Siloam. Wash. Wash this out of your eyes. Wash yourself. Wash your face. And you'll be healed. And that's exactly what he does. And so then we go on through this whole thing. Let's read just a little bit more. Look at verse 8. And we'll go down. And those who had seen him before as a beggar... We're saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? So people that recognized him, what, what's going on? And some said, is he? Others said, no, but it's like him. And he kept saying, yeah, that's me. He kept saying, I'm the man. They said to him, then, then how were your eyes opened? How were your eyes opened? He answered them, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he says, I don't know. Right, so he's explaining what's happening and how he received his sight. And they brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had, um, who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and had opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and washed, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. We'll stop there for a second. So here's, what's, here's what happens, right? Jesus sees this guy, heals him of his blindness, and, and news begins to spread. People that recognized him and says, that, isn't that him? Isn't that that dude that used to beg on the side that couldn't see? And it was. And he says, yes, yes, that was me. And they take him to the Pharisees. Right to the leaders, the religious leaders of the day, they take him there, and the Pharisees are, quite frankly, get pretty upset about the situation. Right, Jesus did this on a Sabbath, um, and so there is this back and forth. And what will happen? We're not going to read all of it, but what happens is they they question this guy. He tells them what happened, and then they question his parents. They go and they find his parents. They question his parents because they don't believe that this is the guy that was born blind. It can't be the guy that was born blind because now he sees. His parents say, yeah, yes, that's our son. We know that's our son. Yes, he was born blind. Uh, and, and the Pharisees press him or press them. What happened? And, and they're, they're, up, they're afraid, right? They're afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And so they go, I don't know. He's a man. Talk to him, right? So they go back to him. They go back to him. For a second time, they called this guy. And they had this interaction, right, where they're asking him, uh, okay, what happened? And they have this back and forth interaction. But there's one statement here that has hung me up all week. Maybe it'll do the same for you. Look in verse 24. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind. This is after they talked to his parents. For the second time, they called him. 
and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. We know he's a sinner. Look what he says. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already. And you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And he goes back and forth and back and forth. And it ends up with them. uh, And they cast him out. But here's the statement. Look back at verse 24 and 25. Here's the statement that has echoed in my head all week long. And they say, this man's a sinner. Look at verse 25. He says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. And man, that phrase, that little phrase, one thing I know, one thing I do know, it has just rung in my ears all week long. Because here's the deal, and this is the principle that we can pluck right out of this text and can sit right in your lap today in in our context 2,000 years later. So the first part of his statement, if he's a sinner, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. I don't know. It's a pretty liberating statement to say I don't know, right? To feel like you have the permission to say I don't know about some things. It's a pretty liberating feeling because it can be um, frustrating and, and beyond frustrating, it can, it can produce anxiety when you feel like, I don't have the answer. I don't have the right answer, right? We often feel like we don't have the right answers. But look, he's, he, well, in this context, he is ignorant of theological nuance. He does not know how to argue with the Pharisees about whether this man is a sinner or not. So he says, I don't know. But look, the same thing can apply to us. Sometimes it can apply with theological nuance. Right? It can apply with, with a quite complex theological system that you might know, not know all the way around. And you feel like sometimes, because I don't know all the system, I can't speak to this person because I don't have the answers. And that's, it. that's the case occasionally, but more practically than that, <clears throat> there are things that happen in our lives and we don't know why. We don't know why. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why that happened to your child. I don't know why that happened to your wife or to your husband. I don't know why this happened. And it's a, it's a pretty liberating thing to be able to say, I, I don't know. And there's sometimes when you need to do some business with God in that I don't know spot, right? To say, I don't know. Father, I don't know why this happens. I'd like to know. But I don't know. And to be okay with it. But look, he doesn't stop there. If he's, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So he was ignorant of theological nuance, but he was confident about what Jesus has done for him. He's confident about what Jesus has done for him. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. It's a good exercise for us, and this is what I want us to pursue just a little bit. Take this principle and to set it down in front of us today. What do you know? 
What do you know? Is the question. Because there will be a lot of days when you don't know. There's a lot of things, a lot of instances, a lot of circumstances. Things that you just don't have the answers for. And it's okay to say, I don't know why this happened. But you ought to follow that up. I don't know this, but I do know that. So here's what I want us to do. This morning is more of a practical exercise than a theological sermon. Here's what I want you to do. There's a card that looks like this in the seat back in front of you. Cards and pens. I want everybody that can write. Everybody that is, uh, doesn't matter if, if kids, if you are listening and participating, I want you to participate with us. Littlest ones certainly don't have to. But I want everybody to grab a card. Everybody to grab your own card. If you don't have one right around you, I've got a handful of extra ones up here. If you need an extra one, let me know. Anybody need extras? You need one? Hammer needs one. Anybody else? Now she's got one. Okay, here's what I want us to do together. I want us to take a few minutes, just two or three minutes, to kind of walk through this exercise, to pull out a pen, this little card, and to write out one thing that you know, to write out one thing that you know, where you would say confidently, this is what I know about God, this is what I know about what God has done in my own life, and you might follow the model that this guy has. I, one thing I know I was blind and now I see. It might follow that kind of model. It might be something else. It might be one thing I know, that he's risen. One thing I know, he died for my sins. But, but I don't, this is what I'm not looking for. I'm not looking for a Sunday school answer. You're not turning these in. This doesn't get you, you know, we're not grading your answer. But we're going we're gonna to do a couple things with it. So I want to take two or three minutes and I want you to, to write on the card one thing that you know. Go. I'm going to grab a pen and I'm going to do the same thing with you. If you're at home, if you're following this online, whether it's this morning or you're watching the video later, pull out a note card or scrap piece of paper or even your phone and type this out. This is just a little card that says one thing I know. It's got a little box that says one thing I know on it. What we're going for is to write out a short, simple little statement like the one that this man makes. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. That's what, we're looking th that's what we're looking for. Some one thing like that, and we're going to talk about what we do with it.
There's so often when a, when a little statement like this, for me, at least in my testimony, in my own life, there's so often when a little, a little statement, a little nugget like this can become kind of a spiritual marker in your life, kind of a mile marker, if you will, right? Where you grab hold of something, some little spot in the text or some exercise, some small exercise like this, or maybe a song that you sing or something, but there's a phrase in there that becomes kind of a milestone that you look back to, right? That's, that's what I feel like this is, even for, for me this week, of reading through this and, and really reading through John leading up to this, you get this really simple story of this blind man that Jesus sees and interacts with and steps into his life and heals this guy, and then he's put in front of the Pharisees and is questioned. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. So here's what we do with our cards. In a second, we're going to have a little collective testimony time. We're going to read these things. Not everybody, but whoever wants to. But here's what we do with them. Kind of the now what. Now what? What do we do with this? Number one, uh, one thing that we do with our cards or with this statement that we, that we know, this thing that we know one is that we embrace this good gift of God. You embrace the good gift of God. Too often we fixate on what we do not know. We fixate on it. Now this is not an excuse. What I'm not giving you is I'm not giving you an excuse for laziness to not know things. Right? You ought to read. You ought to have a firm grasp on theology and church history. You ought to know some things like that. Right? And we want to help you know some things like that. Uh, so I'm not just giving you an out to be like, well, I don't know. It's just okay to say I don't know to everything. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am, here's what I'm, my push is that we fixate on what we don't know. We often fixate on what we don't know, and it hangs us up, right? Either we fixate on, I don't know why God is allowing this thing in my life. Or I don't know how to answer your question about you know, creation, or the origins of life, or whatever it might be, or we fixate on, I don't know how to take this and cross-reference it with that, right? We fixate on those things, and what I'm telling you to do is to embrace the things that we do know, embrace the things that we do know as a good gift from God. Don't fixate, embrace the things that we do know, and that this the things that we do know, the statements like this, the statements like this, mine was this, one thing I know, I was a slave and now I'm a son, right? I was a slave and now I'm a son. And to grab that as a good gift from God and to let that statement inform my identity, right? It's not the statement, it's that God, what God says about me shapes my identity. What God says about you shapes your identity, right? So we embrace the things like this that we know. We allow them to inform our identity. And we remember them often. We remember them often. Right? You ought to build in. We talk about this all the time. You ought to build in rhythms of remembrance. Things that, things that pop up that help you remember. 
help you remember what God has done for you. One of the things like that for me is a tattoo on my forearm. It reminds me, reminds me that Jesus on the cross said it is finished, that my sin was paid for, I didn't pay for it. Right? And so one of, part of the reminder for me is, is right here. I'm not, I'm not telling you to go get a tattoo, but I am telling you to build in some things, uh, to build in some things that are rhythms of remembrance and that are visible reminders, right, for you. So we embrace, we embrace uh, the good gift of God. We allow God's gifts and God's proclamations to inform our identity. We remember them often, and we share it as much as possible. We share it as much as possible. This is a great evangelism strategy. This is the one that I employ the most. is to ask honest questions and give honest answers. Ask honest questions and give honest answers. You don't have to ask leading questions. You don't have to ask loaded questions. If you'll just be interested in people and ask real questions. Be genuinely interested. Genuinely interested in them. It's a great evangelism strategy because here's what happens. Somebody sends you a question back, all right? They ask you a question back. And if you give honest answers, you give honest answers. An honest answer might look like something like this of going, man, I don't know. I don't know about this, but I do know this, right? Whatever our topic is, like, there might, be a, there might be a situation where you say, I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of the, of the topic that we might be discussing, but I do know this, right? I know this one thing. I do know this. And, and we share this one thing we know as much as possible. Now look, here's a possibility. And here's something we need to address. What if you have no answer? What if you have no answer? What if I ask you to write one thing, one thing I know, and you go, oh, dude, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Well, here's a couple of things that might be true for you. One, you might not be good on the spot, and I just put you on the spot. So it might not be anything at all. It might just be you're not good on the spot, right? Or you don't like being surprised by things, and that's okay. I would encourage you to sit down when you have some time and to wrestle with this. To make sure that you do have an answer, right? That's why we're not turning them in. You're not getting a grade. So... So if you have no answer, it might, it might be that. But it might be more than that. Right? It might be more than that. It might be that you don't have an answer because there is not one thing that you know. There is not something that you are confident about. That you say, I don't know these other things, but I do know this. That might not be there. That might not be there. Right? Because you can come to church... Come to some services, do some things, show up, know some people, give some money, serve some time, help with the kids. You, there's a lot of things you can do and not have an answer. Right? Not have an answer to the one thing I know. And so if that's you, if that's you, um, I would love to talk to you. I'm, I'm nobody special, I don't have any answers, but I would love to talk to you. Just to sit down, I'll buy you lunch, coffee, breakfast, whatever works for you. I'd just like to have a, a friendly conversation to walk through that. So here's my invitation to you. If you're, if you're here or if you're online and you're saying, 
yeah, this, this little exercise put me on the spot, and I don't feel like I have a good answer, but I do want to talk about it. Um, come find me. Shoot me an email. Shoot me a text message. I, I will clear my calendar to spend some time with you because there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important than you having some things that you confidently grab hold of that you know that you know that God has done in your life that you know about who God is. There's nothing more important than that, right? That your faith is in these things. So if, so if you need just to talk to somebody to verbally process some of those things, let me know. So here's what I want us to do really quickly. Uh, just as a collective testimony time. And we're not going to go around in any sort of order. This is a popcorn jump around. But I want five or six or ten or however many people that want to share, just to share. Just like, I'm, this is not like testimony time of like, let me talk for five minutes. This is read your statement time. This is what I'm talking about. Right? Just as an act of worship and of testimony, collectively, that's what I want us to do. And then I'm going to lead us into a time of response and communion together. So, I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Somebody's got to be first. Brad, did you write something down? Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here in just a second. I don't mind putting Brad on the spot. So, Brad's going to read it. Brad's going to read his. And then anybody else who wants to read theirs as an act of worship and a collective testimony, let's do this together. So, listen up good and speak loudly if you're going to read yours really quickly. I'll read mine again at the end, and I will lead us into a time of response. Go, Brad. Amen. Well, I heard the beginning of one thing I know what. Maybe Dad can say it for you, Lyle. He's good. Amen. Say it again, Lyle. He's real.
Amen. Amen. Good job, Barry. Anybody else? One thing I know. Good to have you here. It's a good, simple exercise to grab hold of one thing that I know. You know, simple little principle even just like a little spot in this story where a blind man that was healed was put on the spot. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. It's good for us to hear those things about each other, to remember that, to walk through the exercise together, especially when our one thing is informed by the text. One thing I know, I was a slave, and now I'm a son. Look, anytime we come to the Word, we want to respond together. We want to do things like this. We also want to take some time uh, to do a few things. Right? Number one, we want to deal with sin seriously. We want to repent. Repentance is reorientation around Jesus is forsaking our sin and reorienting around Jesus as King. I don't know about you, I need to do that all the time, right? There's sin that pops up in my life. There's things that uh, sometimes that haunt me, sometimes that follow me, sometimes that I just walk right into willingly, right? That I need to repent of and I need to reorient my life around Jesus. So we're going to take a minute to do that, just to pray, to have some time in your week to do that, and I want it to be a time where you know this is coming. That's why we do the same, that's why I end the sermon the same way every week, right? So we want to take some, we want to take some time to repent, if that's where you are, if that's what you need to do. Another response to God's word and our service this morning is to remember, is to remember that Jesus died in our place, that the bread of life was broken for us, that we might have life, that we can go from being slaves to sons. We can go from being broken to whole. We can go from being wicked to righteous. That's what happens when Jesus dies in our place and our faith, when our faith is put on him, that's what happens for us. So the way that we remember that collectively every week is we take the Lord's Supper together. We, when the time is right for you to get up, to walk down the aisle, grab the wine or the juice and the bread and take it back to your seat and pray. 
that God would help you to remember, even as you take these elements into your own body and join in with the church around the world and through the ages in proclaiming the death of our Savior and looking forward to His return. That's a good thing to do every week. It's a great response. A third way that we respond is that we rejoice. We rejoice, right, in, in what we're doing. So uh, there's a few things practically that looks like. So we sing again at the end. We want to rejoice some more. We want to go out of here with a posture of joy. So we take an offering at the end as a response. This is an act of joy and rejoicing, right, that we have the opportunity in the midst of all the other things that are going on to pool our resources together for the sake of the kingdom, right? That's what we do. So we've got to respond that way. So I'm going to, rep- I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we will respond together. If you're at home, you can respond the same way um, and join in with us. So let me pray for us, and we'll respond and sing and wrap this stuff up. Join me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word for the way you teach us through it, and for sometimes the really simple little exercises, like this morning of remembering, being confronted with the one thing I know. Lord, I pray you would help us to hold on to those things in a hard season or a hard day. God, that you would help us to remind each other of those things as we walk through life together. Lord, help us now. Be with us now. We respond in repentance and remembrance and rejoicing. May you be glorified in what we do, in what we say, and how we respond, and how we react. Lord, help us to be engaged. Help us to be engaged, not just go through the motions of communion or giving or anything else, singing, or, but to be engaged as an act of worship. Father, we thank you for your grace towards us, your goodness in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.